you're playing it this week, right? Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. So the next episode, even if we say it, is just going to be an Elden Ring episode, I'm sure. Entirely possible. We should pick a game that Pavlos really likes as the main topic. So he has to sit uh, through the Elden Ring discussion. <laughs> and you can't put annotations. No annotations about where the discussion begins and ends. And just sort of sprinkle it in and actually compare the the old Game Boy retro game yeah. to Elden Ring. And be like, this is really like Elden Ring here. But uh, until then, what what game have you been biding your time with? Biding my time with? Um, yeah, I've got some I've got some indie games to promote. Uh the first one goes by the name of Heroes Hour. It is available on itch.io. However, uh, the dev is planning a Steam release March 1st. So, listeners of the show, this is time to introduce a major aspect of Murph's character, and that's that I love the uh, Heroes of Might and Magic series of games. Those games are very fundamental to who I am as a person. Uh, and Heroes Hour is a sort of fan tribute slash follow-up um, but it does some of its like own things a lot of things I feel like the dev wanted in those games while also streamlining it uh, so this is a welcome addition to your your heroes experience yeah yeah I think so uh, the main difference is that heroes of mind magic games um, for those that don't know it's sort of like the games are built into like three different parts one is sort of a town building section and then you have like an overworld exploration of a map picking up resources with like your heroes and then in combat uh it shifts to a sort of uh grid-based tactical uh fight with the creatures in your army uh heroes hour changes that last bit instead the fights are not really that tactical they're more a bit like pikmin where you sort of you have your swarm of units and the enemy swarm of units, and they sort of just clash into each other, and whoever has... They just duke it out. Yeah. It's not it's not really tactical. Like, you can sort of tell your units where to go, and you can cast spells and things to buff them or summon more units, but really it's just even more of a numbers game. It's super streamlined, and, you know, it's, I, it's kind of fun to watch just blobs of units clash into each other. The game has a very minimalist pixel art style. Um... And that sort of lends to its charm, particularly because there is a like a deceptive amount of like things going on in the battlefield. If you pay attention, like I noticed, my my little sprite pixies were ganging up on guys to pick them up and drop them to deal damage. Like I initially went into this hearing that it's like specifically tributing Heroes of Might and Magic Two, which is the one I have like the softest part spot for. Um, but looking across like all the content in the game, it's very clear that the dev is like tributing all the entries in the series like the design of the goblins are very particularly invoking hero of might and magic fives goblins so he's doing a best of yeah sort of and like i said it feels like he's putting in things that he wanted in the games like uh you can capture like resource points um but here it actually animates like a little wagon carrying the resources from that resource point to your town that's not really in any of the heroes games and then they eventually like form little roads and convoys that's real cute yeah i think it's just a good fun game it's um i think the one downside is i don't think it's ready for a march 1st release date because not once did i close the game of my own volition 
Oh, goodness. Um, like I said, it's an itch.io game. It's made by, like, one person. Uh, it's just real buggy right now with the crashes. Do you think the Steam release is just going to be early access anyways? or Possibly. He says it, he wants it to be, like, the 2.0 release. And the version I have right now is 1.94. Okay, well, you know. We'll see what happens, right? Yeah, but, you know, it's just good to see uh you know a tribute to the hero series because it's they've kind of faded under ubisoft you also played a game about cities and traveling about and (laughs) you tried you tried for that one um i should have done an indie game looking at this now but like i guess i didn't play anything until like i played this two weeks ago which was uh san andreas um and this is like the time like this is the first time i you know, there's two ways to play Grand Theft Auto, and one of them is you just kind of fart around, and then you give up on the campaign at some point in time, and then eventually you lose interest. And then there's other times where you just, tr- like, truck through the campaign. Mm-hmm. This was this time. This was the Brogan's gonna play the campaign time. You're gonna take and it seriously? Yes, I took it seriously. And... um I think I I walked away. I also played Vice City like a little bit before that. Um, and I think I've walked away thinking San Andreas is the best Grand Theft Auto game. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But like, obviously there's a lot of like quality of life changes that four and five did. And like looking back, I, I like how four approached story. I think Grand Theft Auto San Andreas is like, in, in the growing pains between Vice City being like an arcade action game where it's like very like almost gross in its storytelling. Mm-hmm. And then Grand Theft Auto 4, which tries to be um, at least, you know, on the whole, an effort in high quality storytelling um, or high production value at least. So like it's a, it's a middle point and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And um, it really just varies by mission. I I had a lot of fun with it, and I think I prefer it over um, the fully committed, uh, art, like, simplistic action. Because I think 3 and Vice City um, are a little limiting now. Mm-hmm. And then I think 4 and 5, there's something missing. I see. Yeah, now, is this on the, uh, the remaster trilogy no. collection? Okay. Shit, no. <laughs> but, I see. You know, uh, I, I played it on PC again. Um, I did, I did like, do some graphics mods or whatever. But honestly, like, I wasn't going to judge the game based on graphics. So Yeah. Yeah. Now, does San Andreas have a mission where you're in a ice cream truck that has a bomb in it or something? I think that's a Grand Theft Auto 3 mission. Okay, okay. Then maybe, maybe that's the one uh, I watched my father play back in the day. Because I, I actually have no exposure to the Grand Theft Auto series, really. I, I played like 10 hours of 5, which is obviously not enough. What, what do you think you didn't connect with you? Oh, uh, I think it just felt, uh, I don't know, too big. I didn't know what to do. Like, I felt like if I was pursuing the story, I was also like missing out on exploring around and just discovering things. I see what you're saying. I guess I guess you're saying that you didn't know what you were playing the game for. Because a lot yeah. of people just, like, choose. A lot of people choose between, like, I'm going to just not play the story. I'm going to goof off in the city. 
or I'm going to do stupid shit. And then like, obviously like four and five were the games that added, like you can hang out with friends Mm -hmm. or you could go golfing or whatever. Yeah. I mean, those like before that mini games were relegated to specific missions or very specific things. And it was, it was much less of a lifestyle thing where you could have separate aspects of fun. And then like the, the separate from the campaign stuff was often vehicle stuff or rampages where you could like just murder indiscriminately just everybody or whatever rampage mode right yeah and i think like that like i don't know i think what pushed me off from it is that felt like every mission was a tutorial for a side job you could do like the one about like just tow cars right now it's like well the, the car towing is slow and not fun Oh, and you know, and like, I I think this is a complaint that applies to all of the games. Obviously, you wouldn't know that. But like, when they do that, when they do that thing where the missions sort of teach you something and bring in a new thing to the table, oftentimes these things aren't viable, especially if it's a job to make money. Now, depending on what the job is, a lot of times you can pursue the job to like level 10 and get a different reward, like an outfit or something. But largely speaking, if you're doing it for money, there is no reason to do a side mission for money. Most of the time it's way more cost effective to do the campaign or murder people and Mm -hmm. then collect rent. Yeah. Those would be the actual ways to progress in the game like that. So like in terms of reward structures, it's usually kind of flawed. Yeah. Uh, Well, the best GTA game is Simpsons hit and run. So yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's fair. (laughs) Is that your favorite Simpsons game period? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, road rage, uh, it's I'm a just virtual Bartman. Virtual Bartman? No. No, it's not Bartman. It's just Bart. Ah, virtual Bart. That's a second Genesis game. It's not that good. Okay. Do you have to like feed your Bart and you can level up and evolve? No, it's like Bart is stuck in rea- like virtual reality. <laughs> it's not a virtual reality game. It's a second Genesis game. But then there's like different mini games. Where he's like, oh, I'm a dinosaur. I'm a Bart dinosaur. And that's different from Bart's Nightmare. Yes, that is different than Bart's Nightmare. I see, I see. Well, you know what's very different from Bart's Nightmare? Air, memories of old. <laughs> right, there you go. You, you, you went through with it. Uh, tell me about Air. Uh, so this is actually my second time playing this game. I played it about like four years ago. Um, the best way to describe it is that it's sort of like i don't really know if we have a name for the genre yet but it's like in the genre of like journey or abzu it's a vibe game it's a vibe exploration game it's like it's like an enhanced on steroids walking simulator you know what i mean well you don't actually do that much walking in air no no i know what you mean you you fly yeah. in air i'm guessing yeah but like i guess like the exploration and viewing in and absorbing yeah. atmosphere on like an enhanced level yeah so it um and, and for what it's worth i like air more than journey and obzu um i like air quite a bit this game makes me feel things and its general conceit is that you are this sort of like pilgrim in this archipelago of floating islands and you have to visit these three temples uh, as part of your pilgrimage. And you move around these floating islands because you can turn into a bird. And the flying is very satisfying. It's very momentum based. So you like you dive and you sweep up 
and you can build up a lot of speed, and there's these, like, big, fluffy clouds you can fly through. When you fly through a cloud, all the sound gets muffled. And you can even, like, turn back into a human midair to, like, do these great, like, big jumps and things. It's very satisfying. And then when you're on the ground in these islands, of which there are a lot, like, there are a lot of non-plot-relevant islands to explore if you want to, uh, you have this lantern that illuminates... It's not really explained. They're sort of like ghosts of the past. But you can, like, see people that used to be there and maybe, like hear some of their uh, dialogue or something. And that's how it basically tells its story, is you, like, uncover these ghosts and texts uh, through these three temples and learn, sort of piece together what happened to this world. You learn that it wasn't always, like, it was, like, one singular floating continent, and then something the people did caused it to break up. It's a very, like, straightforward story. It's actually very similar to Journey's story, now that I think about it. Well, let me ask you a question. So, like, when you say it made you feel things, was it from the story or was it from the gameplay and environment? Um, a little of column A, a little of column B, because the the exploration is the story. Like, once you leave the, like, initial tutorial area, you can go in any direction you want. You can uh, tackle any three of these temples in an order you want it like gives you a specific it gives you a directed order just because that's the more organic way to uncover the story and it's also based on which temples are closest to your starting area but like the key thing to air's success is its sound design its soundtrack is very lovely like the music that plays when you're flying around as a bird is just this very soft rhythmic guitar that builds up when you build up speed and it slows down when you slow down and then when you go inside some of these temples there's like this ominous drone that sort of like rumbles in your ears and makes you feel like you shouldn't really be here um i i think you would like this game a lot as as a lore guy because it's the it's a very it feels very solvable if you, like, explore all, like, the little nooks and crannies. And I, I like the lantern as a storytelling mechanic um, because it just feels like you're peering into something, like, intimate and private sometimes. Like, there's, in one of the first temples, uh, you'll come across, like, this group of people, like, dancing and having fun, and you'll hear, like, music and laughter. And then, like, off in the corner, you'll find, like, one guy sitting on a ledge just kind of looking out and being by himself. And it's like, you know, it's little tableaus like that. Like, um... Uh, little vignettes or images that stick out in your mind. Yeah, like, sure. um, in another area, there's this waterfall. And I, like, thought, like, ooh, I'll, I'll jump off the waterfall and land in the water below. And I jump... And your character always, like... There's no fall damage. Your character always, like, creates a little gust of wind whenever they're falling in human mode. Um, and I landed at the bottom, and at the bottom there's this rock... And on, if you pull out your lantern, on the rock is a dead person. Like, they fell. And it's just, like, little scenes like that. There's, like, no text or something, but it makes you, like, feel like you're looking into a world of the past. And that's that's just very satisfying, and it's just a, such a chill game. It's a very simple game. I'll throw that out there. Like, there are puzzles, but they're, like, Pokemon gym leader level puzzles. Sure. Like, it's... Uh, turn the dial to uh, find the symbol that opens the door, and it's probably the symbol that's painted on the door. <laughs> you know, that's so weird. Like, for the most part, this was reminding me, especially looking at it and hearing you describe it, this reminded me of my experience with Sable. Mm. Um, the one thing I'll say about Sable was its uh, its puzzles were much more like 
because the reward structure was very different. Sometimes the puzzles would be like that easy. Sometimes the puzzles would be a little bit more complex. Like they would be a little harder in terms of like figuring out. It's not necessarily figuring out like math or anything, but um, sometimes the environments would only have like a very small hint towards, oh, you needed to do this thing. And then the reward would be very small in terms of uh, what you get. But like, um, I think it still really affected me because it made me interact with the world in, in a nice way, um, in a detailed way to where I had to actively care about the environment. And then in terms of the reward structure, it tried to give you so few, like, like any reward was good. 10, 10 dots of money was good. I will take that. That the anything was satisfying. So, um, does does that reflect in air? Air's no, not really. Air doesn't have all it has is just turn into a bird and the lantern. There's no like currency. There's not really the only like hum like NPCs that aren't ghosts you can talk to. Mostly just give you like directions to points of interest. So it's like almost purely like it's p- an experience. It's yeah. almost purely audiovisual. Yeah, it's uh, just exploration. I would almost recommend like it for children because it's a they'll probably find it fun to fly around, and also yeah. it's just so straightforward and simple. Um, yeah, it's not like there's really any tricky platforming or anything. It's it's just the reward of exploring every little nook and cranny, like is the reward um there was like one island towards the end where um it doesn't look like there's anything remarkable except for like this one ghost talking to themselves and then i like pieced it together i'm like oh wait this one person is like super important in the lore of like this is the author of several documents you've been reading the entire time i see it's just it's just kind of satisfying like that um and what may throw some people off is that it's very short um both this time and the original time I played it, I beat it in two hours, but it felt more like five for as like dense as it feels, if that makes sense. Well, that's, that's really good praise where it's like you get something out of the two hours. Sometimes I don't want a game to have an extended period of time and have it be a forgettable experience. Sometimes two hours where you are completely engaged matters more. Yeah. And it also goes on sale for like super cheap. Like I, the version I played ju- uh, for this was on the Switch, and I got it on the Switch. It was ninety percent off. It was two dollars. So I think it's it's totally worth the money just for like a little, just like you know, play it on a sunny day. It's uh, I think it's totally worth the experience. Okay. Well, you've heard it here. That uh, so the the games of the what you're playing were Heroes Hour for itch.io, GTA San Andreas for fucking anything, <laughs> and then Air. For is it only, uh, and then PC and Switch? I guess uh, is there one on Xbox? I'd play. It on I Xbox, I think I so. Um, I'd be surprised okay, cool. if it wasn't. And now we go into the variety minute, which is the current name for it. it may change. He didn't want to. He didn't want to go with the retro. The retrospective. You you said it. Damn you it. said it after the second time. That, Damn it. That was a, that's I was practicing right. it all day, but you caught me when my throat's <laughs> scratchy. My mouth is the dry. Retros- perspective. The retrospective. The retrospective. Um. This time around, we are looking at uh, silent protagonists uh, Mm. inspired by possibly our game of the week or games of the week. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, I had a a list here of some just random things. I noticed a trend Mm -hmm. out of uh, like the 
the silent protagonists of video games. Um, obviously, anything like before 3D and like major sound, a lot of protagonists are quiet. I didn't even bother to like list 8-bit protagonists. Like, yeah. who cares? But after that, we start to see um, a trend of like JRPG characters, a lot of RPG characters in general, and then a lot of first-person shooter characters. Mm -hmm. And like the notable differences would be... Uh, I guess platformers, depending on the era and seriousness of the platformer. Yeah. And then Link from The Legend of Zelda. But Legend of Zelda also borrows a lot from RPGs. So, like, that's that's where we're at here. So, general uh, JRPG characters. Do you feel like... Let's, let's We'll just do Pokemon. Do you feel like Pokemon is done best with a silent protagonist? Um, so, I don't... I think there's some delineating that needs to be done about okay. like silent protagonists they, they function differently yes it's not always pure silence yeah because there are moments where like a character in pokemon will be like explain to me what's happening right now with the god pokemon appearing and then they'll make a reaction image like you're telling me that the god pokemon is appearing because the evil team is doing evil like it's clear your character said things but they didn't say things you know so i don't does that qualify as a silent protagonist? I count that. Yes. I count, I count anything that's not you are hearing your character say full-on sentences. I included Mario and Luigi for okay. talking Italian. I gibberish. <laughs> Italian, the language of gibberish. You heard it here first. No, that's what they do with Mario and Luigi. Yeah. No, no, I, I get you. I get you. And then, like, Paper Mario, Paper Mario, like, Mario's just, like, straight up, like, I'll move my hand and that's it. Yeah. No, he'll gesture. Um, yeah, he'll gesture. Do I think Pokemon would be better with a silent protagonist? I think yes, because those are, like, Avatar games. They're, they're, they're like, Minecraft. Your character is a representation of you. Sure. So they're just like, it's like you're along for the ride, but all the plots really happening to the side characters. That it, seems to be, that seems to be the main through line for most of these. Um, just in general is like, so RPG characters, you want to be like your RPG character and you want them to reflect you. Mm -hmm. So like you immerse yourself in that. Um, I think it gets a little bit different um, when we get into first person shooters and we will certainly talk yes. about, one example later on but like on here i have like doom guy yeah um doom guy doesn't talk he says something like one thing in doom eternal and a lot of people on reddit got mad mm -hmm. but like honestly i think it's fine i it doesn't matter i think doom guy is a very visceral experience yeah um play, playing doom i i enjoy it and like in doom 3 he talked um, yeah well doom, doom guy says a lot by not saying things especially like in doom 2016 you can tell a lot by like just his gesture and body language like yes. the, the famous example i think of is like when that early on like the monitor of a what's his name michael afton appears is like starts explaining michael afton. <laughs> that's 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 from five nights at freddy's um, yeah. <laughs> appears and starts Pulling explaining that one out starts explaining like plot to you doom guy just grabs it and shoves it away and like yeah you you understand like his that's like a mission statement for yeah. the game yeah and then the other one would be like right after that probably like two missions later the same guy samuel hayden is his name okay well uh, he, could have fooled me he put himself in a robot 
He says, be very careful with that, you know, arc energy too. Blah, 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 blah. Doom guy just fucking manhandles yeah. it and rips it off. There's characterization to him. Mm-hmm. And that characterization is still defined. It's not like, oh, I'm going to play Doom guy and I'm going to play him peacefully and respectfully. Yeah. No, like you're still being taken on a ride. Um, and the ride's not in your control. It's just that you're enjoying it with him. You're like in the front row seat too. I think... I, looking at this as well, there's one example that is completely different, which was Claude from Grand Theft Auto's uh, Grand Theft Auto Three specifically. Yeah. Um, where he just doesn't talk. I think that one is more so a failure. And like, I guess, I guess that's where I was talking about earlier in terms of uh, storytelling and arcade stuff, where Rockstar was probably trying to get more cinematic. Mm-hmm. Claude is really just there so he doesn't have to respond to things. He just gets told to do a mission and then he does a mission. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, so I think there is um, a lacking or like a failure or I don't want to say a failure, but like a prototypical gr- growth spurt where it's like they, they wanted to figure out how to do storytelling right. And they didn't want to fuck it up by having somebody talk. So they just went for the easiest example. Yeah. So they just went easy. Does I have that make a, sense? I have a note here on, on my own notes that says, very difficult for a protagonist to be unlikable when they don't open their mouth. Like, take Sonic, for example. You know, Sonic used to be, like, silent in his games. They very easily could have, like, put, like, dialogue on the Genesis. But no, he just says a lot with expression and gesture. And then come the Dreamcast era, era they decide he needs to have a voice. And that's where it started going downhill. <laughs> yep, yeah, no, I... Yep, 100%. Yeah, I think I think a lot of these examples... Samus Aran yeah, is another I, good example. I, I'm seeing Samus on here. And I was about to say, speaking of characters that lost their luster when they started speaking... Yeah, like, uh, honestly, like, other M's, like, heavy Samus dialogue definitely, I think, ruined a lot of people's perspectives on Samus, which is fair. Because, like, you know, Samus being a strong woman, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and especially immersing yourself. Samus is another example where you need to immerse yourself into the environment of the game. Yeah. And her telling you how she feels is not so kosher. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's easy to believe Samus is, like, a silent protagonist um, because who, like, in those first couple games, who's she going to speak to? It's not like she's going to shake her fist at Ridley and say, Ridley, Uh, you know, some people just, like, you know, they pop in their earbuds, they put on a podcast, they go to work. Yeah, that's that's how you do it, you know? You, you don't need to do a dialogue tree with uh, Ridley or Craig. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think I think it's easy to get away with silent first-person shooter characters because then the, char- the the player's acting as the camera. Um, yeah. Like yes. one example I have written down here, Jack from Bioshock. Yep. He, he doesn't speak, even though that's like, you know, sort of a more recent game where they very easily could have given him like a voice but i'm not sure how bioshock would be improved by having your protagonist go like what the fuck is that every five seconds and bioshock is very like cognizant of the player's experience and like it will still subvert what uh you know your experience is but just jack doesn't need to say anything you know what i mean yeah it's it's usually superfluous and um i i think 
I think that's my take. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think that's my take on Gordon for the large part. There mm-hmm. are some exceptions to that. But largely speaking, I think it's a, uh, I don't want to fuck up. Like, if he talked, it would fuck up a lot of scenes. Yeah. Prob- possibly. Yeah. You know? And, like, now nowadays, like, video game character protagonists don't shut up. Like, you know, they'll yeah. have you walk around a room and interact with, like, objects. And he'll, like, pick up a photograph and be like, this was me and Jennifer before the fall. Yeah. Or stuff like that. It's like now the player character has become the, the font of exposition, whereas before it used to be whoever was talking at the player. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I guess I wrote it down. This is worth talking about. This is the platformers so like jack from jack one and then they changed him to talk in jack two they just they were like let's fucking do it and i think like crash bandicoot is another example and you said sonic a lot of these have to do with attitudes a lot of them because they're cartoony Mm -hmm. they are number one they already have expressiveness so they don't necessarily need to talk but sometimes if you have a complex story or you want a character to pop more they, they will talk so I think when the conversion happened to Jack 2, they were like, look, we're, we've we've r- rode the the ride of a silent protagonist yeah. so far, but now we need a character to react. Yeah, and, and now, that's because Jack 2 and 3 are much more like dialogue-focused stories. They're character-driven. Yes. It's, it's much harder to get away with that. Yeah, and what a juxtaposition between, like, Jack 1 and Jack 2, where his very first words are, I'm going to kill Praxis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's just a complete tone shift. And and uh, that I think, like, something like Crash Bandicoot, Crash, obviously, like, even now, whenever he talks, the game is usually not good. I would say when Crash Bandicoot talks, does, the game is not good. He, does he talk? Yeah, he talks in some games, I think. Oh. I'm pretty I... sure he talks in like some of the Activision shit. I'm I'm I might be wrong on that. I assumed it was the tribal tattoo stage. He also <laughs> talks in Skylanders. I remember that actually. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Um anyways, uh I think mo- for him it's alleviated because there's an extensive uh supporting cast. Mm-hmm. I think that's another key aspect where it's like honestly, you don't need Sonic to talk. Because he has 20 friends, yeah. and 20 friends can talk for him. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, so I think that stuff's also an aspect to think about. Um, and I think Mario and Luigi get away with that a lot, too. That's how they're able to have limited dialogue, because they are just talking to everybody else. And it's like, whatever. Yeah. Who cares? And then the last example I had was um, a very important one and very influential for the industry, which is the uh, Sneak King, the Burger King King. Okay, so which is that wasn't a joke <laughs> entry on your list. No, this is a very serious entry. I <laughs> what, see. What are you talking about? Um, you know what? At the time in marketing, having a <laughs> silent uh, mascot was somewhat novel because... Other other mascots, like you'd have uh, the cue ball from, from Jack in the Box come out and explain to you how good the, the food is. Burger King said, nope, we're going to have a guy present you with a burger, and that's what he has for you. It definitely tried to capitalize on, like, cringe or, like, yeah, I guess cringe is the only word for it because, like, the commercials were all focused on that. And then the games seem to be like a novelty. They seem to be very heavy into the novelty, which I don't think is a very solid uh, 
marketing tactic for a ro- supposed to be consistent fast food franchise. For me, at least. I, I, uh-huh. I think that's like... Well, he has to be a silent protagonist so he can sneak King. Yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, I think I think it's also telling that he's like so emotionless. Like mm-hmm. it's just a consistent smile and it feels so it feels creepy in a bad way. It like almost like an uncanny valley where it's like it's not even just in the commercials What am I meant to feel? There's something wrong with this guy, but like when you're playing Sneak King it feels so weird to spring it on people. You feel like a mass murderer. Yeah. Well, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of our audience know the feeling of springing food on people in the game Sneak King. <laughs> yeah. Sneak King is a total day Dreamcast game. I'm saying that right now. Okay. 100%. Okay. I All right, I'll I'll add it to the calendar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, haven't second thoughts yet. So what about what about characters that are like actually canonically mute? Like what about Chell from Portal? Well, technically Jack was mute canonically. Is that um, right? But yeah, cuz Daxter I hate to bring out my lore glasses. Daxter confirms he's mute in like the second mission with Torn. Okay. Where uh, he's like maybe he's mute like you used to be. That's what he says. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Anyways, besides that, um, I don't really have an opinion on it unless they do. I think I haven't played Portal Story in a long time, but I think they sort of do that as a way to rob that character of agency, mm-hmm. right? I think, well, I think sometimes. That's, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is I think that adds to like Chell's tragedy. Like she has a mouth, but she cannot scream. She cannot talk her way out of the murder robots. Yes. Yeah. 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 It. It. That. That speaks to something where it's like, yeah, it's. It's what we just said. Um. But that's not often, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh. I guess that's the best example of it. No, I'm trying to think. Isn't uh, uh, Chrono Chrono Trigger mute? I mean, he's mute in the JRPG sense, but I don't. I don't remember off the top okay. why he's quiet. I think. I think he's quiet. Like period, though. Yeah. I. I don't think he talks at all. Okay. Okay. I don't. I don't remember off the top. Uh, expli- lo- canonical explanations, but you know. Do you think Link should talk? By this point, do you think Link should? talk? Do I think Link should talk? I don't know what Link's voice would sound like, and I think that frightens me. No, I think with like Breath of the Wild, they showed that they still could do the silent protagonist with Link, just by having you know the old method of having everyone else speak at him and speak for him. Yeah, and 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 there, Link is also a for sure case of he says things and we don't know what he says. That's that's you know. Can you just imagine like next Zelda game, like you get to the final confrontation and Link says like some generic crap like Ganondorf, your reign of terror ends here. I don't know why he's a surfer from California, but hey, it's very wand of Gamelon, baby. No, but like here's here's my one thing though about that, which is like. I would say before Breath of the Wild, there wasn't any voice acting. Like there would be like some mutters or something mm-hmm. like from Midna, but like, but Breath of the Wild did break some barriers. First of all, Link is called Link again instead of whatever name you choose. And then the other thing was, yes, extensive voice acting. Um, And I actually appreciated the voice acting. I like the voice acting. Yeah. Now I don't necessarily think Link should speak. Um, that is another barrier to cross, but I am, I think with that, I am now more comfortable with Nintendo taking those risks. Hmm. 
Okay. Who would you get for, for like a Link? <laughs> Clearly Yuri Lowenthal. I'm just kidding. Yuri Lowenthal could play Link. Yuri Lowenthal could play like a Link. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad. Do you think he could play Gordon Freeman? Probably not. You'd probably want like a Travis Willingham for a Gordon Freeman. <laughs> All right. We're going to segment into our games of the week. We got a double feature, Murph. I know. The double feature show. Hello, and welcome to the Creature Double Feature. This afternoon, find out who will be the victor when vicious monsters... So our first game of the week is Half-Life 1, a 1998 game for the PC. It's a first-person shooter. So in 1996, former Microsoft employees Gabe Newell and Mike Harrington founded a game development company called Valve. Uh, inspired by sci-fi horror shooters like Doom and Quake and even uh, Stephen King books like The Mist or the manga Akira, Valve wanted to make a horror first-person shooter. Uh, they approached id Software and got the licenses for both the first Quake engine and Quake 2. Um, according to dev interviews, they added about 75% of their own code, which uh, manifests in the game as skeletal animations or extensive AI behavior and scripting, which we'll talk about. It feeds into the gameplay. Um, they got a publisher through Sierra Online. Uh, the first year of development was a complete disaster. They were complete rookies and didn't know what they were doing. So after that, they scrapped everything and then took another year to make the game. And there they applied three principles of design, which we can talk about whether or not those actually uh, reflect in the final product. One, events triggered at the player's pace. Two, level would, levels would respond to player action, such as even minute details like bullet holes or interactable objects. And number three, the player would be extensively warned of danger. Uh, I, in my opinion, this mostly comes from the sound design. They also, during the reboot, got Mark Laidlaw, a professional science fiction writer, to touch up the story and flesh it out. Half-Life 1, in a terms of the story, is about an MIT graduate and theoretical physicist named Gordon Freeman going to work at a top secret research facility called Black Mesa. He shows up to work one day late and uh, he works at the Sector C test lab and he has this special radiation suit called the HEV suit that protects him from many different forms of harm. During the explosion or during the experiment, there is a resonance cascade, which basically just means there is an interdimensional alien invasion coming out. There's aliens up the wazoo. Your goal for the rest of the game is to survive largely. Uh, it's special mostly because of the immersive first person perspective that doesn't really take you out of the game for cutscenes or heavy scripting. Uh, at least in those terms. Um, and then in terms of the gameplay, there is heavy scripting. Uh, the level design is very strict and linear and events are very clear. Um, and every engagement and encounter is calculated. Uh, to many, it became a classic, influenced the uh, genre in general, yada, yada, yada. Murph, I have a question for you. What was your experience with Half-Life before going into this? I don't have any. 
Um, I this Half Life is a huge blind spot for me. I I know that they're very famous and revered, but I ca I can't really say that I've ever seen like even gameplay of them. Like, I think all my knowledge of Half Life comes from like listicles that they appeared on. Like, I know IGN way back when named Half Life Two their game of the decade, and I would see like Gordon Freeman appear as like third best protagonist in a video game <laughs> or the gravity gun is the best weapon in gaming um like i i don't like i don't even know i didn't even know like the general premise like i know there's a g-man i know there's a character named alex because there's a vr game that came out called half-life alex uh it shares a universe with portal because glados sings about black mesa aliens so question mark so then, as you started playing Half-Life 1, uh, what were your thoughts? So I figured that they were, a sh like, a straightforward shooter. Because I never hear anyone say, like, oh, we should go back to the days of Half-Life. Um, I, I never knew how straightforward a shooter they are. Like, yeah. it's particularly Half-Life 1. Um in Half-Life 1, I never really see anyone talk about. Like, I don't see that pop up on any lists. No, I think... I think I, I would say it's probably, like, held to posterity and that's it. Like, I, I don't necessarily people uh, laud the game other than its influences now, in yeah. my opinion. And I don't have much experience with shooters of, like, the late 90s. Like, I played through a bit of, like, Star Wars Dark Forces back in the day when I tried to get myself <laughs> to like those games. Um, but uh, the most recent thing would be, like, Halo 1, which came out three years later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, there's... Uh, I, I compared it to, like, System Shock 2 or something. Or, yeah. like, even Deus Ex or something. Those are a little bit more RPG-focused and stuff. But that being said, like... There's still an immersive element to it, uh, yada yada yada. Um, for me, I think I think like comparing this to, you know, Doom and Quake, I think those things are like naked in comparison. And mm -hmm. like, there's other first-person shooters that came out that's that are more modern, but like those would have extensive cutscenes, for instance, mm -hmm. or they would have. Uh, I don't know when Daikatana came out, I but don't, like I don't th know. that's what I imagine you know, was, like, otherwise the landscape of uh, first-person shooters on PC, you know? Yeah, Half-Life 1 feels very constructed. It, it almost feels like like a tabletop RPG module. Like, I'm in, I feel like, a, I felt like I was in dialogue with the devs. Like, I'd say, I'm gonna go over here, and then I could just imagine, like, like, someone saying, well, if you go over there, then you're in sight line of that guy over there. It felt like, like, early Castlevania in that way. Does that make sense? Are you, are you saying basically that it, in, in terms of like a tabletop RPG, you felt how the DM planned for your behavior? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes complete sense. I felt I like think, all uh, my actions were accounted for in some way, which is admirable. But it probably feels too uh, transparent possibly yeah it's particularly because it was always very clear like okay something's gonna happen here something's gonna happen here like it, it very rarely surprised me sure but let me ask you then is that pacing was the pacing good for you i that's one of the things i liked about half-life other than like maybe level quality is sometimes the pacing was really solid like i i in both of these games i felt good 
sense of breathing puzzles not even puzzles but like just the times it slowed down were good yeah i think and the times it picked up were great i think it has good pacing but i think the pacing is killed by some of the bullshit sure um like my overall complaint with the gameplay is i think healing should have been more prevalent because there's an overwhelming feeling of that like you have to perfect this shootout otherwise you're not going to have enough health for the next shootout uh because there's just like almost no health drops and you have to recharge from these like stations on the wall where it only feels convenient to go and heal once you have dealt with the enemies because otherwise they'll just come up and cap you while you're holding e and, and you know in terms of the 3d space um the thing i didn't like about the enemy ver- there's there's two things i like the aliens yeah i think the military men like the when the military comes into black mesa i think that's because they're hit scan i think yeah. the hit scan is a major problem for what you're talking about it would be different if it's like the vortigaunts or the head crab i think all of those are manageable no, I wish I wish there was more of the game built around those enemies, uh, yes. because I kind of like the uh, sort of die hard with aliens aspect in like the first, I don't know, hour or so before the military show up. Yeah. Um. What do you think of the? What do you think of like the first forty minutes or whatever where you're not fighting anything? I like that. I like I like the introductions of games where you just sort of walk around and see the environment before it goes to hell. Um. I don't mind that one lick. I think there could have been more things to, like, I don't know, see and do around yeah. the uh, the Black Mesa offices. Sure. But otherwise, it, you know, it's, it's a... Or maybe yeah. seeing, like, more of the environment that you're going to, like, have to fight out of. Like, I thought at some point you were going to get back on that train you came in on, and then that would be, like, a whole sequence, but it's not. The train you get yeah. on, in on is, like, I don't even know where in relation... No, yeah, yeah. the The geography of the area is actually like for for a setting, the uh, the locations feel a little bit. Even though it's so linear, it feels like I can't connect or draw a map. No, with this 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 space feels massive. There's like extensive underground labs, a, a whole like sewer slurry system, an above ground military base aspect, uh, canyons. That is a good shot when you walk out of that tube and you're in the canyons and the valve theme plays. Oh yeah, the, that's it. That's in surface tension. Surface tension's a good level, Murph. Oh, uh, uh, and then like you're yeah. scaling the thing. <laughs> I think that's a good level. Yeah, <laughs> it has a lot of military people, but like I think that's a really good sense of verticality. And then it ends on like a, a helicopter uh, fight with the missiles. Mm-hmm. I was going to say I didn't write it down. I need to say it. I like the weapons in this game. I do. Mm. I love them. Especially, it's just such a minor choice, is there's no sniper in the game. No. What it is, is a crossbow. Yeah. And I like the crossbow. Crossbows are preferable to sniper rifles, in my experience. Um, The one thing about the weapon variety, and this helped me unlock something, about how to tell if a first-person shooter is good or not. Okay. If the submachine gun is a useless weapon, it's a bad game. Okay, yeah. I think Half-Life 1 has a useless submachine gun. <laughs> does it, doesn't it have the alt-fire? The alt-fire is good. I, does it in 1, or does that add it in 2? I'm pretty sure it's in 1. Mm. Pretty sure. 
If it does, I never used it. I didn't even I, know about I, it. I, I I regret I regret playing all all the games at once now because they are all bleeding together. Because I also played Black Mesa, and now uh, I'm like, oh wait, did it? I'm pretty sure it did. I don't think I'm it like does. 80%. I never used it. It doesn't list it on the bottom. That was uh, the thing is I just alt clicked it. I see. Well, I'm I'm, I'm like eighty percent sure. Yeah, because I would use it to like pop in and out for the giant monsters, the those giant aliens. Yeah. you know what I'm talking about. That mm-hmm. shoot the the homing things. Yeah, I would, I would pop in and Halo. out and use that. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> what do you think about the later sections of the game? The later sections of the game, um, like, are you talking about Zen specifically, or we don't have to talk about Zen just yet. I, I think once we get to the later parts of the labs and the Lambda stuff, um, it starts to get old. I think uh, yeah. it gets old. For I me. think this game is a bit too long, um, it's especially once it like has you starting to do like platforming and stuff like it has very organic feeling like level progression like you're always climbing up a pipe or like up some boxes that are conveniently placed but because of that it's not always clear where to go like i think in surface tension when you're scaling up like the um like the cliffside and there's like that minefield and there's that one sand trap with like the blind tentacle thing a lot of the path forward is obscured by like rocks that are like arranged just so that they don't seem like there's a path. Yes. And I spent a long time wandering around there, uh, trying to find the path forward. Luckily it's easy to move around because Gordon runs like a motherfucker. Fuck can he run? <laughs> um, the, and the thing I don't like my honest complaint the, this time around for both of these games, it was easy for me to remember, Oh, I got to do this one thing or mm-hmm. I got to do this. I was worried that you weren't going to like two for, that because it gets a little weird and like locks for instance but anyways um the thing i didn't like about half-life one this time around in terms of the environment and where to go is there were still a lot of like small holes you gotta crawl through, oh yeah and you gotta look for the small hole you gotta crouch jump which is spotty then, yeah you best. gotta crouch jump and you're like what the fuck and then ladders ladders are like the ladders thing in the game. ladders are the ultimate enemy like oh my <laughs> god i'm surprised ladders are so bad that I'm shocked Half-Life 2 doesn't have a joke about, like, Gordon having a ladder phobia. Like, it's it should be so self-aware that ladders don't work in this game. You will be climbing up a ladder, and then, like, your momentum will pop you off over the side of it and have you fall down. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, And then, like, for the later stuff, too, like, I don't like those bigger alien enemies. And they only show up near the end of the uh, labs. Yeah. Um... I, I really just like the Vortigaunts and the head crabs and the zombies. Like that's 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 where we're at. The bread butter's good. Yeah. You know? Um and then when it gets to Zen, how do you feel about Zen? I didn't mind Zen all that much. I was a little perplexed when I thought the giant testicle spider was the final boss. Cause that's what it seemed like. Like it pops out and like a voice says, You will not survive. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> this is this is the mastermind. The testicle this spider. This is the big one. Um, uh, but it turns out it's not. It's this, uh, giant, uh, atropal from Dungeons and Dragons 3.5. Yep. Basically. And that's a bad boss. Well, well, before we talk about that, I, I will say, I think, 
I had problems with Zen even now. I think I'm warmer to Zen now, but that being said, the thing I really don't like, and the thing I noticed when I played, I played briefly the Black Mesa rework of Zen, and it's like completely redone. It's mm-hmm. like from the scratch, there are still like design principles that they go for. Like, okay, Zen is heavy in platforming. Yeah. Like they, they definitely approached it like that. But one of the differences in Black Mesa is you don't take fall damage after after you get the jets oh, to a long jump. What a helpful change. Yo, yeah. Like I, th- I think Zen's big problem is, is you, you take fall damage. Yeah. I think that is the core complaint. And technically Valve alleviates it because at that point you have infinite healing springs when yeah. you can find them, but you got to find them. Yeah. And then stand in them for however long it takes to fully heal you. Oh yeah, loads of fun. Um, I and then at like at a certain point in time, it just doesn't work. I enjoy at a certain point in time the Zen level becomes like the factory. I like the factory. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great level. Yeah, because it's still closed in. It's still platformy, but it's more just like jumping on gears or whatever. And like that to me, it all works. Uh, it does. It does do another thing I don't like in first-person shooters, where in the late game they introduce a little flying shitty enemy that can just spam orbs at you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those guys aren't fun to fight because they're hard to hit. <laughs> and yep. you don't... What end, What weapon did you end up using to kill him? I mainly just used, like, the pistol because that felt, like, I don't know, un- quote-unquote precise. Or I could probably bullseye them with the magnum most of the time, but I was trying to say I, I tried bullseyeing with the magnum. Technically, I think the pistol is the most precise, at least on first shot. On first shot... Uh, I think the pistol is the most precise weapon. Yeah. Um, anyways, yeah. Um, and then when you get into uh, the Nihilinth, the final boss, it's a fuck up. Yeah. It's a fuck up. It's, I had, I was fighting it for 30 minutes before I just like paused the game and looked up a guide. Cause I'm like, there's no way I've been shooting at it for this long. And it's not like even showing damage yet. Yeah. And the answer is, is you got to like destroy these little crystals on the wall that seem like they're just part of the environment. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's, well, okay. To, to, okay. To be fair to Valve, those crystals are like the only thing that's bright and colorful in the room. Yeah. Everything else is dark and gross. However, against the point before that, when we've all been crawling through Zen, we saw colorful crystals everywhere yeah. as just part of the set. And it's dressing. not part of like, you know, you could have done that in Zen in like an earlier sequence where it's yes. like, ooh, destroy the crystals, otherwise your enemies will keep healing. You should have you should have been able you should have killed or destroyed crystals to prevent yeah, healing or whatever, to learn the mechanic. Instead mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, good luck, kid. Good fucking luck. Yeah. And then, like, I landed on its head several times when its, like, skull wasn't even open. I just, like, kept shooting at it, but nothing happened. So I'm like, okay, this isn't the solution then. And then the entire time, it's the shooting LimeWire logos at you that warp you into a different room full of shitty little flying goblins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then it's, like, another platforming segment. Those yeah. segments, sometimes you can heal in, but, like, it's not fun. It's fucking... No. Yeah, no. And then... It ends. It ends? What would you think of the ending? It's very abrupt. I don't know. I, I saw the G-Man. Is that his canonical name, the G-Man? No, they call him the G-Man because that's his model. Like, if uh, you loaded up the multiplayer, that's his, like, model name is G-Man. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, I, I like I, I saw the G-Man throughout like the various levels. I'm like, oh, he's probably something. But when he just like you step through that portal and then he's just speaking at you, that's you're like, whoa. Yeah, I was just like, um, did I miss a cutscene? Did I do that boss fight wrong? Actually, uh, it wouldn't have felt so abrupt if it was just like you're going through and you like see the Black Mesa lab, the the, the Lambda Laboratory. They're like, oh, Gordon, Gordon Freeman's coming back through, and then the G-Man like pulls you back. Yeah. And then then it's not so abrupt, and then you get an idea of like, oh, I'm being like robbed the chance to of escape. Something. Yeah. Rather than just suddenly getting spoken at. You know, I was just thinking this this will lead into Half-Life 2. We'll we'll do a we'll do a transition or whatever. But like thinking about the G-Man, I really wish there were just like more than just generic NPCs in the game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because then the like, G-Man I wish there would, were characters. He would know that's a distinct character rather than Yes. A Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Cause like number one, yeah, every other character in this game is an is a generic NPC. So technically speaking, other than like near the end where it would get weird, like it could just be a fucking businessman. Yeah. And then you'd be like, oh, okay, whatever, who cares? Um, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, and just going into Half-Life 2, they, spoiler alert, they had to make up NPCs. Oh yeah. And then be like, remember me from Half-Life 1, even though I wasn't in it? Mm-hmm. Like, they should they should have at least given us a little bit more to go off of instead yeah. of just the pure you know because like even even if you're immersed in Half Life One you would know the people in the Sector C test labs mm-hmm. you would be like that's Jeffrey you know Jeffrey yeah hey Jeff how's it going you know what I mean like there's no there's no nothing and it, and that I think is a that that's a problem they eventually fixed in Black Mesa, but like I think narratively it's undercut, and I I think it's I think Half Life One is so direct in some ways it's a blessing that it's just so pure, and mm-hmm. in other ways it's a cure, curse because the game does try to take itself seriously in narrative, you know? Yeah, no, I think it's very um, it's very unintentionally funny. Uh, in yeah. a lot of parts, particularly with all like the NPC deaths, where it's just like you're this guy's running and then a server next to him explodes and falls over and he explodes into like six different chunks. Like I I yeah. don't know what emotion I'm supposed to feel other than laughter, which I did quite a bit. Um, like I don't know how how seriously do you think like the devs were taking this narrative. Like, do you think they thought it was, like, the next big sci-fi story? Or do you think it was just, they were just fucking around? Okay. I, I would say it's a blend between the two. First of all, if you got, you they hired Mark Laidlaw. I think yeah. they did take it seriously. Yes. I, I think they took it to a certain extent seriously. I think when it comes to the NPCs and, like, those deaths, I think they do play those up for effect. I yeah. will say, in the original, if you look back at uh, earlier dev stuff, the uh, faces were more cartoonish. Like okay. all of the the reactions and stuff. And every time they update it, you played Source technically. Mm-hmm. So you were like halfway through the thing. Like there were three remodels basically. And each remodel got progressively more realistic and less uh, cartoonish or exaggerated. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. So so I, I think there is there was a... an inkling that yes you're supposed to laugh at these things and they also do intend for you to do some things that like for instance you can get the pistol early if you kill the first six 
security guards you see. And why, that why is would clearly you? intentional. What? <laughs> why would you attack that guy? So you could get the pistol early. Oh. <laughs> Oh, no. No, but they knew that. Like, I think that is 100% intentional. Mm. They they knew that, like, there was, a, there was a way for you to be bad. You could be bad as Gordon Freeman. Okay. And they just let that happen. I, know, and, I didn't and, even think that you could, like, kill the NPCs or even, like, attack them. You you can kill any NPC. The game, the game will reset to your save if it's an NPC that needs to open a door. Oh. That's about it. Okay. That's it. Um... You know, and then it'll be like, you know, you, you missed a mission critical asset or you killed a crit- critical asset. Otherwise, every NPC is killable. Okay. Um, interesting. Yeah. No, and it's weird. And I think, um, for instance, when we get to like the physics engine of Half-Life 2, I think they still intended for deaths to be funny. Yeah. Um, specifically with the ragdolls. Mm-hmm. I think I think that would be like a, a scenario where it's obvious that there's a sort of a morbid... Uh, cartoon reaction that you're meant to feel it's supposed to be satisfying when you kill enemies and it's supposed to be you know what i mean so yeah. it's it's one of those things um they and they do put a lot of care into that stuff like the vortigons for instance depending on uh how fast you kill them if you hit a certain damage threshold they will stop attacking you and they'll run away i did notice that i did notice that yeah no so they they cared about like npc interaction and stuff to a certain extent and i guess i should say before we move off um, it's really hard to like describe how much of this was unique at the time. And like a lot of people even now would be like, Oh dude, the AI behavior was so incredible. And mm-hmm. obviously it's super basic. It, it is super basic, but to a lot of people like being able to flank Gordon Freeman and being able to coordinate like grenades and stuff, those were really unique for the time. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it does feel important like, you know, I can recognize that for the time, this was probably very advanced, particularly with how it tells its story with like the, I don't know, persistent, everything's done in engine. I didn't really enjoy it because <laughs> I... No, that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. I think the game is dated. No. I think the game is for sure dated. And would, like, would I recommend this game to anyone not trying to be like, I am trying to experience Half-Life objectively, then I would I would like recommend Black Mesa or something. That, yeah, no, I, I want to try Black Mesa because I think there is a way this could be polished up. Yeah. Um, I, I think you would like it, yeah. Is it worth uh, playing these expansions? Oh, I, I was going to ask you that. Would you be interested, first of all? How interested are you? Uh, do they play the same? No. Slightly, yes. I mean, technically, yes, in terms of there's not anything that's going to break the mold. I will say, so Opposing Force is a game where you play as the military and you are trying to, like, kill the scientists. You play the bad guy? Okay. Yeah, you play as the bad guy. Yes. But um, and then it turns into something more interesting. They go a little bit weirder with it. Obviously, there's a higher emphasis on combat and gunplay, but uh, you got to consider... There is basically new enemies, and they added new an entirely new alien race from oh. the planet X. And this is why people debate whether or not it's canon. But there's like a bunch of new enemy alien varieties I... in the game, and there's a bunch of new weapons. Hmm. So like there is a, there is a completely new angle to go off of if that would take you know your fancy. Okay, that that is does sound interesting. That it's effectively like a completely like different. 
I don't know, I guess story. Okay, that's interesting. Now what about what about Blue Shift? Okay, Blue Shift is a little bit more subdued, I would say probably canonical too. Because uh, you play as Barney, the security guard. And it's literally just, what? you gotta escape Black Mesa and you escape with like other scientists and stuff. And um, it is, what's interesting about it to me is there's less of a focus on pure gunplay. There's less guns than base Half-Life 1. Oh. So it's much more limited. Um, and um, like, for instance, you will spend an entire section with the pistol. For a long portion of the game, the pistol is your only uh, real gun. Huh. And uh, there's a lot more uh, puzzling platforming to it. And it, it, in, in, in just that way, it's also shorter. It's much shorter than the other two. Um, so if you're curious about that, you could go in that direction where it's still like a sort of diehard experience, but it's more grounded. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, okay, I would recommend trying them out. I will say they're both by Gearbox. Um, and they are, you know, I don't know how much you like Gearbox, but I don't know. Is the Black Mesa team going to tackle either of those or, um, technically not the Black Mesa team. There is a team that is redoing Blue Shift. Yes. Hmm. Um, there is like a couple levels already done in Blue Shift, I believe. I don't know if anyone's doing Opposing Force. I will also say there is one more Gearbox game that came out and it is called half-life decay and it came out with like inside the ps2 port of half-life and that is a co-op game i can't imagine playing half-life one on a ps2 that that seems weird right that's that's weird oh yeah no definitely <laughs> um but like and then the co-op experience is weird i've never played the co-op game apparently it's bad I mean, I've I've at least heard of Blue Shift. I've never heard of Decay. Decay isn't even listed on Steam. You can't play. The only way to the, there's two ways to play it. Number one, you own a PS2 with a copy of Half Life Two or Half Life One, and then the game, obviously. Uh huh. Um, or you could. There are mods to Half Life One that allow you to play like a kind of version of it, where they've recreated the maps and the models. Um, what's interesting, though, other than the co-op aspect, is that they are both female protagonists. I don't remember their names. They're like Cross and Green, oh. and they both have HEV suits. They are the other two HEV suits that aren't taken by Gordon at the start of the game. Oh, okay. Well, that's kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. But I assume that one's like super not canon. Uh, yes, I believe so. Technically speaking, they use, they reuse the model from... There's a training segment to Half-Life 1. Did you play that? Yes, because I needed to figure out how to do the long jump. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one, one of the... The woman on that is one of the characters you play. Oh, like, okay. Other than that, not really. Huh. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to talk about Half-Life 1 with. Uh, if you had to rate it on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate it? I'd give it a... Be honest. Don't be like... I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about my honesty. I think I would give it a 6. And that's a generous okay. 6. Because I, I did okay. like... You know, I, I am the kind of person who gets like wowed when a, uh older game is still compelling. Like, uh, like, I was like that when I played the original resident evils i was like wow this is still really effective and i i did feel that a bit for half-life but i think just the the gameplay is very outdated yeah, no the, it, it, I, oh for sure 100 percent 
Um, I guess with that gameplay thing, we're going to uh, continue forward into our second feature. Oh, yeah. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's intermission time. Observe the laws of your city, state, and nation. They exist to protect the rights and freedoms of everyone. So now we are in, this is the first time we've done a second feature. I'm excited. Uh, this is Half-Life 2, a 2004 game for the PC. Oh, yeah. Um, what's particularly notable about Half-Life 2 is the advent of the Source engine, uh, which will Valve will later fine-tune as all the their later games will go on. Uh, their original Half-Life 1's modified Quake engine was called Gold Source, to be clear. So Gold Source came before Source. I'm going to be testing you later on this, Murph, okay? Uh, okay, okay, taking notes. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. All right, um, and then this new Source engine offered way more tech upgrades. It's clearly evident if you look at them, lighting. Uh, most important thing would be a physics engine, and that physics engine goes deep into the design of the game itself. Um, another thing the Source engine did and was proud of was uh, the heavy facial animations uh, other graphics engines at, or other engines at the time were uh, probably more impressive in other ways, but they really decided to focus on uh, heavily nuanced facial animations to sort of showcase emotion. Um, and then like those would be the big uh, things that will elevate the game and inform its design as we talk about it. Um, the other thing to note about Half-Life 2's development is that there was actually a beta version of the game that leaked. So people got a glimpse of a much darker version of the game. There were children in the original version where they were like slaves. There was like entirely cut enemies, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Let me guess. Disney told them to dial it back. Uh, you know how it is. You know, Murphy, oh, it's always the same story. You know what I'm saying? Oh, my God. And uh, what? Was, was Gordon Freeman supposed to have a goblin mode? <laughs> Yeah, the rat, Gordon Ratman. Yeah, basically. <laughs> the plot of Half-Life 2 is uh, after your defeat of the Nihilin and then the employment by the G-Man, uh, an indeterminate amount of time takes place. I hear reports of 10 years. I hear reports of 20 years. Um, but you, uh, G-Man places you back into City 17, a vaguely Eastern European area in aesthetic. And you find uh, the entire world has been taken over by an interdimensional alien race known as the Combine, which is basically like a weird alien fascist totalitarian thing going on. Uh, your goal is to team up with your former partners in Black Mesa uh, and other rebels, specifically a woman named Alex Vance is your main uh, companion, to take down the Combine, lead a rebellion, save the human race. Um, before going forward, Murph, after you beat Half-Life 1, what were you expecting of Half-Life 2? I, um, this is like the big one. 
Like, I don't know your perception of Half-Life 2, but for me, Half-Life 2 was always, like, touted as, like, the greatest video game of all time. It's like that <laughs> Ocarina of Time and, I don't know, fucking that. Morrowind, depending on who you speak to. Sure. Or Baldur's Gate 2, whatever the fuck. Um, like, this... Like, this was always been put on a pedestal, in my mind. Like I said, like, I, it, it excludes, to me, it always appeared on, like, best game of all time lists, best protagonist, best villain, best weapon lists. Um, yeah. And I don't, like, I don't really know what I was expecting. Other, like, I knew physics were involved. I knew it was a first-person shooter, but I didn't know any of the plot details. And now that I've played it, like, I don't know. <laughs> you still don't know. You have no idea. Like, I liked it. I like this game a lot. I think this is a very good game. This is like an 8 or 9 out of 10. Okay. All right. That's fair. Yeah, I agree. You know, you may not... <laughs> uh, other people on the Twin Geeks Network will get, make it this comparison. But it's like when, when people say, like, Singing in the Rain is the best musical of all time. And then you watch it, and it's like, this is a very good musical. I can't think of anything bad about it, but greatest of all time? <laughs> like, that's that's just kind of my feeling. Like, Okay, all right. So so you were, you were impressed by the game itself, but underwhelmed at comparing it to its legacy. I think, or yeah. Or it's like reception. Like, I think okay. that's... And I think part of that reception definitely is, like, the mysticism of how it, like, just the franchise ended yeah you know yeah. Um, like well, it's easy to put a game on a pedestal when you're st when you're still pining for the continuation of a franchise yeah oh for sure yeah 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 no and like i mean i'm sure the same thing's gonna happen when half-life 3 comes out i wanted to ask you again before we get like super into it in terms of expectations i'm like being like like, Beating Half-Life 1, what did you hope 2 did differently? You were like, I was man. Hoping, I was definitely hoping that the combat would be better refined. I was hoping for more variety. I think I was hoping for more of a story. Because Half-Life 1 is just a lot of like people telling you to go to places and push buttons. Yeah, I was definitely hoping more to for lack of a better word, feel something. I wanted I wanted to know why. I wanted to know why this was so praised. I think, well, you, I don't think you found out why, but I do think the other things on the list in terms of refinement or whatever, I think those were largely successful. I, the thing that stuck out to me most about the game was the variety. You, yeah. you know, you said like in the last episode or maybe a, privately that you like games with a lot of uh variety in terms of things changing i yeah. think half-life 2 is a game where each chapter is something completely different oh yeah you know what i mean i that think still has you know is informed by the gameplay at large i think fps games thrive on gimmick levels i think this is something that halo figured out and perfected yeah. I think it is very good to have your game be like, okay, this is the sniper level. This is the shotgun level. Rather yeah. than being like, you can use either or in this scenario, depending on how you want to approach the situation. Like, no, no, fuck that shit. Like, I wanted, yeah. I want to know, 
that like I can just pick a level and be like I want this experience right now like and I think this game does that beautifully and, and like I do think there's like what's even cooler about it is like I think there's like twists to it too so like oh, yeah. Ravenholm I think Ravenholm is probably like a standout chapter right because mm. um, it's heavy horror focused but it's also the first time you get the gravity gun yeah um, and then but like halfway through I'll ask you about the gravity gun in a bit but like halfway through that you get the shotgun so mm-hmm. then it becomes the shotgun level. Yeah. So so like even even in the segments themselves, the game's like, okay, I think your your dopamine level's going down. It's time to up the dopamine, oh, up the adrenaline. Like every time it starts to dial back down, yeah. or like Nova Prospect, the the jail level, I don't like the turret segments as much. But like it will like at a certain point in time, it's like, well, I guess the antlion thing is played out. Let's bump up the turret segments yeah. now. Like like it will always do something different. I think you know? I think the only part of this game that overstays its welcome is the boat. Oh yeah, yeah, water hazard, yeah, yeah. I think that level goes on just a bit too long. You open a few too many dams, but I really like the the car level. Oh yes, that's super fun. Yeah. That that one's much more at your own pace, where it's like less about puzzles or less. Yeah. The problem with water hazard is is literally like where the fuck do I go? So there's like three or four times where it's like a lock you have to shoot, or yeah. it's like just a a thing you didn't turn because it's in a corner. And you're, and you're also like, being like fuck? you're also being chased. Like yeah. you know, it's supposed to be like go go go. Okay, no no what what don't don't go right here. Get out of your boat. Go go in here and open uh, a door so you can push a button to open a a dam or whatever and now it's go 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 yes um i i will say like i i guess when you say go 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 i just realized i think what i don't know how you played the game when 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 valve talked about like being at your own pace i found both of these games were at their best when i was running Mm -hmm. like and i wasn't even shooting everything in my path when i was just like it basically like focused in on where what I have to do and just shooting what I can. That was when I was like in the zone. You I know think, what I mean? Or like solving problems like that. See, it's interesting you say that because that's that's how I approach Halo. Halo yes. to me is a very a game about just like getting to the end. Whereas with this, I no, I think I stayed and like cleared every room, so I could like explore around for like resources or pickups. Uh, I think that's fair. No, and uh, I mean, like, when we talk about, like, the car segment, I think the car segment is, like, really beautiful for that, where you could stop, there's, like, a small village, yeah. you go in the buildings. I think that's where it's, like, reflected, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that that whole, everything from that, that car up to the end, like, I think the, the chapter's entanglement sure. with the turrets. Um, yes. I think that chunk is, like, the highlight of the game for me. I love that sequence so much. Um, I, I'm very pro having minions in games and I can't tell you how tickled I was to like learn like oh no these nasty bugs you've been dealing with now they're yours to command like I've never <laughs> I, I'm very shocked about like how little I've ever heard anyone talk about like how much variety this game has like I've never heard anyone talk about the ant most lions. people just talk about the gravity gun and leave it at that yeah know. no this game has like so much variety and I, I feel like 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 I missed out not playing this when it released because I would have yeah, replayed yeah. that antlion level like over and over again as a child. I know what I'm about. Yeah. And and, I, and to me, that's really cool is like the way they segment 
the chapters. That, that is a thing I do particularly like about Half-Life, where the chapters are clearly labeled and segmented, so you immediately know which level you want to play. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like, that, that is so cool to me to just be able to load in and be like, fuck it, I want to play this today. Yeah. Um, for me, the highlight of the game was probably Ravenholm. Or I actually like the ending a lot. I like, I don't know how you feel about City 17 or like Anti-Citizen 1 or like I was, the Citadel, but I really like I was very surprised the game kept going after Nova Prospect. Yeah? I, you thought that was the end. I was so geared up for like the finale and then it, it kept going and it kept going quite a bit. Um, no, I, I like the Anti-Citizen 1 stuff because again, it get, mixes up the gameplay. Now you have like squad mates. I wish the bug bait still had a use or they removed it from your weapon wheel. Yeah. So so you wouldn't be tempted to bring out the bugs again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but maybe you could use it as like, I don't know, like a smoke bomb or some shit. I don't know. Um, yeah. I think like really my only complaint with the gameplay is that any fights with the rocket launcher, like where you have to use the rocket launcher are very tedious. The gunships, the striders, um, yeah. mainly because it takes multiple restocks of ammo to knock those things down. Finally, it, it gets ugly. And then they have to like clearly segment it as like a boss arena. Like you so know when you have to kill the thing. Yeah. It's so fucking obvious. And then it's like, uh, I, I, I think, I think my problem with the game other than like, again, I would be worried for a new person where to go. It wasn't so much of a problem for me now because I'm like, I know what to do. But like for you, I was like, yo, this game may not be good. There's I, a chance this game is not good. I I, you know I, I mean? always knew where to go. No, I think it's all very signposted very well. Like it's, good. it's sort of the more polished version of what I was talking about with Half-Life 1, where Half-Life 1 feels very like, like I can see the hand of the dev placing like the pieces on the board with half-life yeah. two, the hand is invisible. Yes. But it's still like got the elegance of it. Yeah. Sure. And I think yeah, that's yeah, yeah. where in like, unlike half-life one, I feel like every gun has a use here. Like the pistol, yeah. you know, you have a lot of ammo for it, but it's good for like disarming traps or taking out the, the, the barnacles. Is that what they're called? Yes. Yeah. The yeah. And then the submachine gun is really useful. And the like, yeah. and they give you so many like, nifty ways to use the weapons like that little physics ball the assault rifle can shoot out like it just makes every shootout feel like dynamic and the shotgun is your sniper rifle as soon as you run out of one gun it's like i could pull out another and it feels great and the other thing i noticed i will say is like i'm i think they had a really good pacing of when you get the weapons mm -hmm. how did you feel about like the gravity gun i thought the gravity gun was um you know, I was about to say, I, like, I didn't use it in combat all that much, other than to shoot exploding barrels and saw blades, because it didn't seem like shooting just rubble did anything. No. Yeah, I, I basically used it for man hacks or exploding barrels, yes. Yeah, and it's so cool that, like, two of the enemies you fight are just basically physics objects, like the man hacks. Those are, like, once I realized, oh, I can probably snag those with the gravity gun, that's cool. Or, like, you could use the gravity gun to, like, set up cover and stuff. Yeah. That's pretty that's pretty nifty. And then of course the end game with the gravity gun. That's like so sublime when you realize like, oh wait a minute, they just buffed me. Yes. Yeah. Like they took away all your weapons but the gravity gun, but they supercharged the gravity gun. So then yeah. it becomes its own its own game. And I, I, I mean? love I, I, I unironically love it when games are like in the last moment we're gonna 
change up the gameplay on you slightly. But but like unlike unlike Zen or something, it it feels appropriate. Everything feels appropriate, and it doesn't feel like it's throwing you for a loop at any point. Um, what do you think about the story? So the story is very um very straightforward, and there's not a lot of like payoff. There's not a lot of setup or payoff. Like you're just basically like dropped into it and. They do something very clever, like, right after you deboard that train the G-Man drops you off on, and where you, like, look to the side and you can see um, a Vortigaunt sweeping the floor. And you're like, oh, those yes. were the main enemy of the last game, but now they're, like, subservient. So whoever this, whoever is in control now must be real big dogs. Um, yeah. My, my main issue is, is that there's no, like, there's no scene of just, like, simply explaining what's going on. Like, which I think is, like, a topic for debate like you know yeah it's cool how, that there's... how much did you try to let me ask you, i'm not i'm not blaming because i agree with you i think there is an, a fundamental failure in trying to convey certain things mm -hmm. how how much did you try to absorb the stuff like did you listen to the brain talk yeah i listened to the brain talks i like walked around like i realized i could talk to people with e but then yes. like you know partway through exploring and trying to figure out the scenario, then they're like, run, 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 run. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then especially like when it comes to the scripted segments with the uh, side characters, um, a lot of those moments, uh, th those areas actually have a lot to explore and, you know, interact with, but they, they are, they are unlike what valve says they are timed. Basically they yeah. are, very simple and like you don't get a lot of like freedom mm -hmm. to like breathe into the thing you know what i mean yeah like it's it's just like oh it's time to do the thing gordon yeah and, and it's not like the game is above having moments where an npc just exposits at you you yes. know i think i think the most confusing part was is that like everyone's happy and surprised to see gordon rather than yeah. being like where have you been like the last time we saw you was jumping through a weird portal at the Lambda complex. Do you even know what's going on right now? Like that's where yeah. having a silent protagonist is a very flawed thing because it feels like Gordon has no, like, I don't know, perspective on things. Like they're just, you show up at Kleiner's lab and he's like, all right, now get in the teleporter and we'll send you to Dr. Vance. And it's like, well, do I want to go to Dr. Vance? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, so like, okay, all right. First of all, yeah, I think the way they do the NPCs is initially clumsy, but at the end of the day, I am glad they did the NPCs. Because, again, I would prefer this over Half-Life 1, where everyone is the same. Yeah. Um, that's a problem. No, no, I like, so like, I here, like all the characters in this. Yes, all the characters are fine. It's, it's a weird stumbling block, but it's a fine retcon. I think my problem was, um, shit, I lost it. I lost <laughs> it, Murph. I'll find the problem. Is it there on the floor next to that can you need to pick up? The, the can was great. I, to me, it's the little moments like that where it's like a moral, like, to me, those are the moral choices that matter. Uh-huh. De deciding whether or not that litter shouldn't be on the floor. And you should pick it <laughs> whether up. Whether or not you're, you're going to lick the boot of because your... Because your good friend Barney Calhoun, who owes you a beer told you not to make a scene and draw attention to yourself not five minutes prior 
Look, man. You should pick I, up the can. I'm a rebel, Murph, okay? I, that's the first thing you should know about me. Uh-huh. Um, anyways, no, I I think I was going to say the the problem with Gordon B. This is what it was. I found, I found it. Uh-huh. Thank you, Murph, for helping me. Uh-huh. Um, Gordon's silence isn't a problem to me. Let's say at the very end when all the confrontation is happening and Breen is, Breen is talking to you. Gordon not talking is perfect there for me. Yeah. Because then it's like, okay, there is like, he's not ruining anything. Any other game where the person would talk would probably ruin the scene, to be honest. Yeah. I don't need, I don't need Gordon saying like, fuck you, Breen. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need, I don't need any of that. That's, that's a problem because that is taking me out of the experience. Mm -hmm. But I will say, I think it starts to fail once we've started to develop these other characters. Alex is the ultimate example of this where Alex is sort of trying to talk to you and connect with you. She is basically, it's not said in the game, but it's kind of obvious the love interest. Yeah. Right. She is meant to be your best friend or whatever. Like there's supposed to be a budding thing between you two, but you are a wall. It is all you and no, no character to Gordon. So when she says like, "Hey, I really appreciate what you're doing out here," it, there's it's she's talking to nothing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think that is where the game's like, okay, you you're failing here. I don't know. I don't know what the answer Valve should have taken, but and I guess they could have done worse things. But I think it is a a mark against. Yeah, and I think um like doing all those cutscenes in engine. Like, you know, that's kind of novel, but at the end of the day, I'd like to be able to skip cutscenes, if possible. Like, I, I, like trying to think of, play, like, doing this on replay, you know, Alex is a cool character, um, but any, any, any level with her is going to involve, like, a good five minutes or so where you're standing around smacking walls with your crowbar until she opens yeah. the door. No. Um, let me ask you in terms of the story, how did you feel about the combine and the setting? So I like the setting of the city 17, um, because they, they use a lot of shorthand to explain to you, like, this is a dystopia. Um, yeah. the combine, I didn't really understand as that's fair. I think that is a fair, not even as like a cons, like, I don't even, like I'm thinking back now, I can't even think of when they said like, "Oh, these are aliens" or "These are extra-dimensional beings." Like the most I got is like when Breen's like is talking about like, "Oh, they shut off our ability to reproduce," and I was like, "Okay, it's it's probably aliens because they have that yeah. kind of technology." <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. But like, I was very confused about like in the um, anti-citizen one. Uh, the little NPCs will say like, "Oh, combine forces inbound," and it's those dudes in armor. And I'm like, "Okay, are those the combine? Are they just human-like aliens, or are those humans in armor? Like, is combine the alien, or is that the the dictatorship?" I think is what I, I was I, very thrown off by. I I think without getting too deep into it, I think it's basically the dictatorship, and the way the dictatorship works is they sort of co-opt whatever yeah. the other species is it's like they the covenant it. yeah yeah they take it and it's theirs now and if you're not part of that you're dead mm-hmm. so like th- there's that but i do think it is largely a failure because 90 percent of the time you're killing dudes in armor that's yeah. what it is yeah i think this that's, could have used yeah. a few more like alien type enemies yeah 
I like the Striders. I think the Striders are really cool. I think the Striders but, are real cool. I wish they had less health, but... Oh, yeah. Um, I wish they couldn't uh, trigger... Uh, how, how do I want to say this? Uh, when they shoot their blue beam and it, like, oh, <laughs> this is supposed to, like, cause a thing to collapse... You were you were you were moving too fast. Like I, I, it's difficult for me to conjure up the words, but like, oh, a, a, but they're gonna shoot a wall and a bunch of rubble's gonna fall. That's like a scripted part, but you're still in the shootout with them, so you're trying to get a good angle for the rocket launcher. Yeah, 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 yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And I think I think that's where it starts to get ugly. Is it tries to be immersive. But like it, it goes into the scripted. Do you see the hand thing? Yeah, and those would be moments where the hand starts to slip a little. Bit, yeah, you know? and I think any anything to have to do with like actually defeating an enemy through the physics, I think is yes. spotty. Like throwing the grenade into those floor turrets was yes. much more oh, frustrating than it needed to be. How do you feel about this game's like constant forward momentum? As I said earlier, I think the game is at its best when I'm moving. Yeah. Right? But, so like, when I stop... narratively, how does oh. it feel? Like, the fact that Gordon Freeman is awake for, like, 57 hours. Okay, I actually... Okay, so this is, I guess, the thing. How did you like the actual ending? The actual ending? Um, you know, it feels like it's par for the course of the franchise so it didn't bug me <laughs> as much and i think it's better like you were ready after the first time yeah and i think it's like better introduced like how they do it where it's like the explosion and then it freezes and you're like is something like did my game crash and then it's like oh it's the g-man and like that's neat i didn't see the g-man as much i think i only caught him on like a tv screen once but i have to imagine he's like hidden all over the place like the first oh, he's, game. yeah he's hidden all over yeah okay he's so like that's neat um, I think, what is the G-Man? <laughs> like, that's... We, we don't know. Um, okay. I was going to say, I was going to say, and I guess we're going to start... I don't want to do too much, Lord. It's going to be a problem. Okay. Basically, he's, unknown, un, he's an unknown. I was going to say, in terms of the actual ending, I the way I view Half-Life 2 is it's like a race. I'm, like, racing as hard as I can, and I'm just having a blast doing it, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. There's a momentum. I'm building up, building up, building up, and then and then the G-Man hits, and it hits like a it hits like a brick wall, but it's like a good brick no, wall. No, no, he, like, literally stops the game, and that's neat. That's that's so neat. And then it's, like, it's done. You're, it's Is it that time again? I think the game is aware that it's fast. I yeah. think the game is aware that it was a brisk pace. Or at the very least, in terms of story and like how it goes, it, you may take forever playing it, but like the game knows that like it doesn't feel like it's an extended time. You didn't breathe in this world very long. No, and know? I think that's probably contributing factor to people wanting a sequel because <laughs> this yeah, this yeah. really does feel like this is the middle game, like overwhelmingly. I I that was part of like my curiosity with the game. And I was like, I was like, is this a situation where people just want to continue it like a second one, or does it genuinely leave on a cliffhanger? And it's like, it doesn't even leave on a cliffhanger. It's like you saw the first half of like a sh season two of a show and they just never made the second half. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's, and, and then like, everyone's like, Oh, we're just, let's just talk about mysteries, like Reddit theories for yeah. 10 years now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but like that being said, they do they do continue it into later episodes. Would you be interested in playing the episodes? Uh, definitely, definitely. If it's more of Half Life Two, I definitely want to experience that. 
Okay, what if I said most of it, even though there is, like, some variety, there's less variety. They're shorter, obviously, but there's also a lot more Alex. Hmm. Like, Alex as in waiting five minutes to open a door, Alex? Or... Sometimes. Sometimes, yes. Uh... You know what? Sure. I I okay. like Alex as a concept, as an entity. We got it, boys. <laughs> I I You know what? It's good to go back to a time when games didn't have politics. You know what? This is just a simple, straightforward game about toppling a repressive regime. <laughs> um I I enjoyed all that stuff. Um I guess I I guess Oh, you know what? I I you remember I got your point? the last thing I forgot. I got the complaint. And it's, a, it's an important thing. We should say this. So the physics puzzles, do you mm. think those are a sufficient use of the breathable time? As in the slow moments are when you have to, like, fucking figure out make a, a seesaw. lever. Or, uh, yeah, you make a seesaw or some shit. I don't think any of them really overstayed their welcome. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. You know, I wish... I wish the physics were used a bit more in the actual combat. As part, yeah. uh, like, combat itself is a puzzle. Like, I love it when games advertise themselves like that. Um, yeah. Like, I feel like there should have been stuff like, oh, you can knock over these boxes onto these guys, or something like that. Or, yeah. you know, pile up crates to form your own barricades, but the crates, you know, are destructible, so it's not much of a barricade. Yeah, no, that makes that makes complete sense. And like they I obviously they tried a little bit with the gravity gun, but the gravity gun just isn't ubiquitous. There's yeah. just clearly times to use it and there's times to not use it. Mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think if the game relied too much on the gravity gun, then maybe it would overstay its welcome, because at that point it's like, well, why not make a whole game out of the gravity gun? I think I think it's very clear that physics were the driving feature of the game. Like I said, like, two of your enemies are physics enemies. It's constantly, like, having you play with, like, buoyancy and crap. Um, oh, oh, this is this is actually a genuine flaw with the game. That sewer segment where you yes. have to, like, make floating, like, platforms for yourself. Oh, God. It's yeah, very hard to jump on a floating physics platform when your screen is flashing white from radiation oh. damage. Oh, my God. Oh, Val, you fucked up. You fucked up I would install. <laughs> I would install a mod just to remove that flashing effect. Oh my god. Uh, well, let me ask you. All right, so now we're gonna broaden this up a little bit. Number one, do you consider yourself a fan of this series now, or do you understand what the series is now? I understand what the series is. I think I'm still in like the 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 questioning phase of like, is this the greatest game of all time? Like, okay. I genuinely, what I really don't get is whenever I saw, like, Gordon Freeman on, like, best video game protagonists of all time. Yeah, I don't think, I think, I that, don't think that's, you know. I think that comes from the NPCs, like, hyping him up constantly. Like, everyone's like, oh, Gordon Freeman's on the way to solve the problem. You know? I, I, I will say, I think, I think with all that, I, I, I enjoy that they tried to create some more depth to what's going on thematically and all that, but it doesn't pan out. Like you do wonder, like when you're playing, you're like, all right, they call me the one free man. How much do they fucking know about me? Yeah. Like, they did like one thing 10 years ago. And it seems like, like a lot of people made it out of black Mesa. So yeah. <laughs> what? 
who cares? Kleiner then, made it yeah. out of Black Mesa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, so, like, I guess the one story thing I'll say, and this was reflected in Half-Life 1, I don't know how much you caught on to it, but the Vortigons were clearly slaves, even in 1. Did you notice that? Uh, no. Well, I, I kind of got the idea of, like, you know, like the grunts in Halo, that image. Yes. Like, yeah, grunt class of because you know it's it's different alien species. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but like the like in the factory, for instance, there are non-hostile Vortigaunts, and then oh. Black Mesa. Once you go in, like the remake, once you go into Zen, they've just completely rewrote it to where it's like no Vortigaunts in Zen attack you. Yeah, like they they are, and then they also have shackles and all blah 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 blah. And also, I don't know, uh, I don't know if you listen to the Nihilinth voices or whatever. It seems clearly like. He, they, they obviously didn't know about the combine, but it, 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 like the game in the original tried to play into, oh, there's deeper mysteries than you could ever know, Gordon. Yeah, I Whoa. figured they were talking about the G-Man because I, I knew the G-Man it was like a concept going in. So when like yeah. the Nihilanth is like, do not trust him, yes. I, I figured yeah, they were talking yeah, about that. Like that. There, there, there's some deep shit, but like there, there's other stuff like I am the last of my kind or whatever. And also, if you looked at the Nihilans like model, the model is like scientifically like something's happened to him. Mm -hmm. Like he's been like the third arm has been etched into him. Like he didn't, that's not a natural third arm. So like there's implications that there was another race that he's hiding from. It's the, like Zen is a place of refugees apparently. Yeah. So like that's played into uh, Half-Life 2. Half-Life 2, I think the one thing that I got this time around was when they talk about Freeman liberating people, um, the Vortigaunts are the main people that I get that from where the Vortigaunts are like, you saved us from the Nihilanth. You have like taken off our shackles and now there is only the uh, higher master yeah. to face. Like, so in that sense, I'm like, yes, but then also you don't talk to the Vortigaunts that much. Like that is like an optional conversation. Like, yeah. so stuff like that is not communicated to the player. Those are things that like the onus to absorb the information of the plot is on the player. And to a degree, I like that to a degree. I think it is a failing on the developers part to not encourage players to do that. Cause like, there are so many segments in Half-Life 2 where there's an open field. The game is super linear, but there are giant open fields where you can mm -hmm. just walk around and it's empty space. And then hopefully there's some fucking med kits in a room. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they, and like they should have rewarded exploration more. Yeah. You know? Giving you a little lantern to illuminate ghosts of the past. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Bada bing, bada boom. Um, now we're going to broaden it to other things. Um, did you, like, how do you rank this in terms of other Valve games you've played? So Because this was the last Valve series you did not, yeah. like, touch at all. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've, I've long said Portal 2 is, like, my favorite game of all time. Um, and, and to be honest, like, it, 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 that's kind of more of, like, a placeholder. Like, it feels like a safe game to say, yeah, no, that's my favorite. That's why people say Half-Life 2, Murph, clearly. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Um, yeah, I think... <laughs> I, I think Portal 2 is a better story than Half-Life Yeah, I, I think Portal 2 is still my favorite Valve game. Um, sure. It's hard to compare this to, like, Left 4 Dead, because they're different yeah. genres. I think yes, I would rather play most levels from Half-Life 2 again over, like, jumping into a game of Left 4 Dead. 
That's fair. And then you got that's like fair. Team Fortress 2, which I dabbled in a little, but that's like its own beast. It's so crazy. I will say like one of the big appeals of this game this game series in the source engine was the amount of spin-offs that came up. So like Gary's mod, mm-hmm. Counter-Strike, you know, all these things. And like Team Fortress was originally a Half-Life mod as well. Yeah. So like there's so much splintering off that this game produces. And it and it was so interesting to see that stuff. Um so like there's a, there's an entire legacy that's separate from that in terms of mods, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I'm definitely curious about exploring some of, like, the fan mods or fan games. Like, I love the Portal uh, fan games, like Portal Stories Mel or Thinking with Time yeah. Machines. There there are, like, like for instance, Half-Life, there's a Half-Life 2 mod. I don't remember the name of it. They hired the guy that made it. They were like, oh. this is a good enough game. Let's fucking, like, let's get you in here, boy. But Valve always so, seems like, I, very open to that. They're very forward-thinking, you know what I mean? Um, and then the other thing I like, and this is like so important to me, is like when we talk about all these flaws, Valve is, I think, one of the most transparent companies mm-hmm. in terms of design decisions. Yeah, I love that they you know do I mean? like the, the developer commentary. Like that's so it's, interesting. Exactly. And you learn that, about or like... Or they do like the... No, no. It's like you learn why like, uh, you know, they're pointing out like all the tricks they do to pull player attention to a particular area or something. Like that's so that's so cool to like teach how the game design works. Yeah, th- that transparency and I really like too. So like there are times where I'm like, you know, I think you fucked up here. But like they thought about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, like they're not stupid. They they knew what we were saying and like they were like, well, uh, I think this is the best choice. And then they they did it. So like in in a lot of senses, I I can forgive it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I. I think uh, in general, I, I think I like Half-Life more than like, I don't like, I think Portal 2 is a better story. I think Portal, I like Portal 1 more than 2. Hmm. Uh, we'll get into that conversation one day, I guess. Hmm. But like, uh, in, in my opinion, I think Half-Life 2 is obviously not my favorite game. I don't even know what my favorite game is. But I think there's just something really cool about the experience. In terms of first-person shooters, Half-Life 2 is kind of what I want in a campaign. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, like I and I think there's a lot of times where games will imitate it, and like, like I can't play. Like I like Call of Duty campaigns, but it, it to me half the time they, especially when they start half baking it or whatever, yeah. it, it it doesn't feel rewarding. Mm-hmm. And I think like how would you like to me the the best shooter is like Halo, and I say that as someone that like only completed the games like this year. How would you like Halo Two released the same year as this? How would you compare this to like Halo Two? I think I okay. I think there's the the other thing I like about Half Life is it. There's no other way to say it other than it feels like a PC game. Does uh, that make sense? No, no, that checks out. It feels very player computer <laughs> or personal <laughs> computer. There's there's no other way to say it. Whereas whereas Halo clearly feels like a console game Mm -hmm. and i think fundamentally the only way i can convey my preference is by saying i would prefer this pc game to the halo console experience does that make sense yeah no that checks out um i i think i like how this approaches cinema and i think i like how it approaches storytelling and immersion and gameplay and gunplay more than Halo does. I like Halo a lot. I think Halo is probably, in terms of at least a franchise, the best console shooter. 
probably i i, I can't i can't imagine much better um the, you know maybe titanfall 2 or some shit but <laughs> you know whatever um but for me half-life 2 is like the the p- pinnacle of a design principle thing of like how a campaign should go and i prefer that over halo i don't know why okay yeah no no that completely makes sense i'm just trying to get a grasp on because like you know i didn't i wasn't there when this game came out like you know and you're clearly more of the fan base than i so i'm just trying to like i'm trying to live vicariously through you (laughs) uh 20 some years of missed like fan crafting and theorizing (laughs) was this a game you uh talked about with your chums on the schoolyard uh because this seems like no. a game ripe for like people for like kids bullshitting like oh if you if you backtrack to Kleiner's lab you'll you'll get to see like Alex changing or something like that <laughs> no I mean I honestly no I I, I never talked with people about this game mm-hmm. I guess they should have uh the part of part of it feels like personal in that sense where it's like even now as we've done this podcast and i think we're wrapping up at this point i don't feel like we've like cracked the nut does that make sense yeah like, yeah i feel like this game's hard to talk about i think because its legacy is so overwhelming it's like what i'm you know i'm still trying to piece together like how this game like it, it's a good game it's a very good game but like the <laughs> overwhelming legacy is just like unavoidable with it yeah i mean i do think it falls flat from that this is not a 10 out of 10 game i think i think like an like an eight like a real eight like a real nine i think those are viable depending on how much you take legacy into account yeah like this game is also a little rough this is like this is probably the worst looking source engine game this like you know what i mean i was actually thinking that it held up pretty well i'm it it does hold up well i think the source engine is pretty good engine yeah and like like later on they'll just add upgrades to it but like that being said like this this game like this game does show wrinkles right Mm -hmm. and even now in terms of gameplay design like there are some outdated parts to it maybe in 30 years the new podcasters will talk about half-life 2 the way we just talked about half-life 1 right Mm -hmm. but i don't think we've hit that point yet and for now i think it's fine um yeah so let me ask you Straight-faced. Do you think Half-Life 3 is real? Yes, I do. Okay, here's what I'll say. I think it is a... It is one of those things where Valve wants to quote-unquote do it right or do it at a point in time to where they feel like they uh, can market it as something as big. Because, like, both of these games, I will say, it's, it's amazing in a series where you've got like the two numbered titles be such pivotal titles mm-hmm. for a genre. Yeah. So they don't want to just fart a three out. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, um, Do you feel so they should have farted sense, a three out by this point in time? No, no. They, they, I think I think in terms of development hell, they, it's not in hell. It's more like stasis. It's more like the G-Man game Newell has uh-huh. put Half-Life into a stasis. When the time is right, it comes out. Half-Life Alex, I think, was an, a, like a dip of the toes into the water of virtual reality to see if that was the viable 
turn for things to take. I think the issue with virtual reality is it is a very limited player base. Yeah. It is too expensive and tech heavy to where you could not make a genre defining game like on such a pivotal level with such a limited audience. Yeah. So I think that is the failure of that. So I think Half-Life 3 is still in limbo, but it will come one day. Does that make sense? Yeah. Would you be more open to more games in the Half-Life universe, not necessarily a Half-Life 3? Do you think there should have well, been I more mean... like Episode 3 or spin-offs? The Barry Calhoun story. This could go into different things. Number one, uh, like we have Portal. And I, yeah. I think Portal is a great thing where it's like, it is its completely own thing, but it still wants to add to the Half-Life universe. So they'll make a joke once or twice, mm -hmm. you know, and then that's it. And that's as much as you need, right? Um, but like Valve did experiment with the episode storytelling. And I think the episodes worked a little bit. I think the issue was, was with the time and effort it started to uh, it started to be limiting. Like in like, for instance, uh, Half Life Alex has a new engine to it. They had to like they they made a new engine for Half Life mm -hmm. Alex, right? Um, Half Life Episode Two is the Source engine still, and it's it's starting to run out. Portal Two Source yeah. engine starting to you know, it's it's not chugging as much as it used to, right? Um, I think those are the moments where it can be limiting. So then they need to refresh. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, no, no, that checks out. Man, Half-Life 2 just ends on such a cliffhanger that it's very shocking to me. I guess the episodes expand on that. Like, do, uh, do the episodes... I assume Gordon Freeman's still the protagonist. Or is it Alex? Yes, you... You are correct, Gordon Freeman is still the protagonist. Okay. In fact, I would say... I would say I think the problem... I have with Half-Life 2's ending, and this is spoiler alert for episode one of Half-Life 2, it sort of nullifies it. Mm -hmm. They and and they go back on these, they, they go back on the endings a lot in Half-Life. And I think that's a problem to where it's like, okay, they clearly make the game they have first, and then they write themselves into a corner, and then they get out of the corner. Like okay. and then it and then it sort of feels lame. Um but yeah, you know. Okay, so it's like G-Man's taking Gordon away, and then Lamar the head crab comes in and trips up the G-Man. Something like that. Something like that. Okay. Yep. Something like that. Yeah. You'll be like, oh, so this didn't pay off at all. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of not paying off, as you said. Okay. Right. Hmm. Well, now I'm not so interested. But no, I, I yeah. will say the games are really good. No, no, no. I, 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 I believe I, that. Episode two in particular is really good. Episode one, it feels like feels like you are tagging along with Alex. There's, you know, well, episode one came out like what three years after the fact. So do, is it is it more of like a refresher? Like remember Half Life two? A little bit. I mean, they do do some unique stuff and new stuff, but like largely speaking, there are there they sort of highlight certain aspects of it and emphasize those a little bit. Like if you felt like the anti-citizen one stuff was lacking in the base game, episode one fleshes that out a little bit. Okay. But like episode two is much longer than episode one and they go for completely unique things to it. And they do like, for me, episode two has the most notable achievement possibly of all time, which is taking the gnome from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. Is sort of like your companion. You know what I mean? Uh, no, it's, it's, I don't. The gnome? Like David the gnome? 
<laughs> like, like it's like a statue gnome. You know what I'm yeah, talking about? Yeah, no, no, about. I know. I, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. They call him Gnome Chomsky. Are you shitting me? <laughs> no, I'm not shitting you. <laughs> what a what a reference. <laughs> It's crazy, man. Noam Chomsky's <laughs> still alive, I think. Yeah, they, they, they named it after a dead guy. But then again, there's probably so few people named Noam. I guess. It, it's kind of hard to make Well, you joke. think they just Googled and didn't, like, look into... Okay. Yeah. Last thing. We got to say it. You, you mentioned it to me. I feel compelled to say it. So, Valve was compelled to... Mm -hmm. uh, when they were doing the episodes, they were also considering spinoffs. And I would have liked spinoffs by different studios. I think that would have been really cool. Yeah. I think it is a missed opportunity. Um, they were going to uh, do different things like Ravenholm. Yeah. The two companies... Uh, both companies would have probably made an interesting game worth playing. One of them was Arcane, famous for Deathloop and famous for... Dishonored. You know, Prey and Dishonored, like an amazing developer, uh -huh. would have made a fucking killer Ravenholm uh, expansion. Yeah, but who's the other one broken? <laughs> What's the other studio? The other studio is Junction Point Games uh -huh. with a Warren Spector as the lead. And why didn't they make Ravenholm broken? Because <laughs> they uh, they got they talked they went in talks with Disney and started making Epic Mickey. <laughs> Uh -huh. Would you have preferred Would you have preferred Junction Point Ravenholm or Epic Mickey? The ultimate question to tie everything together. I I think you know what I think Ro Ravenholm is actually fine as is. I agree. I don't. I mean, technically, I would have been super okay with Arcane doing it. I don't think Junction Point needed to do a Ravenholm. Mm hmm. Yeah, and they probably couldn't have gotten Oswald in Ravenholm. No, I I think. I think that would have been a much harder deal. You yeah. know what I mean? Okay. So here's the final ultimate question to tie it all in. Okay. If Half-Life 3 was coming out, would you want Gordon Freeman to talk? Oh, this is a good question. This is a good question. Do you want, like, that? because they would, like, build the trailer around that. Where it's like, are you ready, Gordon? Oh, yeah. Oh, they would, no, no, I think people, uh, they would have to, I guess, so people would be... Here's what I would do. If you asked me what I would do, I would either say a no, period, flat no. And that's probably what they'll go with. They will probably make Gordon not talk. Mm -hmm. I, th I think they will just commit to that. And then they'll have other protagonists talk now. Because Alex talked. Yeah. So, like, like, they will just accept that if it's a numbered half-life and it's Gordon Freeman, he ain't talking. That's just... Otherwise, they will get crucified. Right? Yeah. I think the way... I think what they should do is what JRPGs do, which is is if you are a main protagonist, you don't talk. But let's say Half-Life 2 stars somebody else for even just a little bit. Yeah. And Gordon Freeman is an NPC. They should make the NPC Gordon Freeman talk. Hmm. I'm... That's, that's what I think. Huh. I don't know about that. I think that would be too much whiplash. People, people would be upset. I know people would be upset. Here's the thing is, I don't care about other people. That's just what I would do creatively. You'd have to do it with, like, in the first level to get... Yes. Yeah, basically, you'd have to start with, like, a, a completely new person. And then, like, uh, like Gordon would come out, save you with his HEV suit. Just, like, fucking murder shit. And then, like, he'd extend his arm and be like, Cat, got your tongue? And then everyone would go crazy. Yeah. I don't know. That's it. I think I, think I prefer Gordon to stay silent. 
I don't get crucified. That's it. No, I mean, I, I think they'll do that. I think they'll do number one. Yeah. That's just what I would do because I do think it's limiting. Like we just talked about the limitations and we sort of, we start to run its course. I think after Half-Life 2, Gordon not talking is running its course. Hmm. So that's it. I think, I, I don't know what else we could say about these games. Yeah. Well. well. All right. Actually, not talking about these games anymore. Talking about the podcast. This is our first time we've done games so big. These are the biggest games we've done. I'm like 90% sure. And then number two, we've done the first double feature. And it's with you, Murph. How did you feel? Do you want to do smaller titles? Or do you like doing big titles? I can, I can, I can juggle with the best of them. Because I, I played both these games. And I played my little indie games. And I have also started Resident Evil 3. Uh, oh, I can't! I can't wait for that discussion. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's. I mean, I don't know how much more I'm going to be playing of it, given what's coming out <laughs> tomorrow. I well, we'll see what happens. I, well, to be fair, Murph, if you play for another hour or two, you'll probably be fine. Is that is that right? <laughs> don't tell me that. I have no idea where you're at, but uh, let me just say the game is short. That's. Oh. I mean, I think you can gather that. Oh, jeepers. Uh. we'll see (laughs) anyways no but like and i'm guessing you'll play resident evil 8 in the meantime yeah yeah. and then we will have a game that sort of ties it all in together i think i chose this game for us to play because of the resident evil experience Mm -hmm. uh which is dino crisis for the playstation one dino crisis yes dino crisis where it's basically a capcom resident evil but it's jurassic park so that does sound real nifty. I wonder if I can still tank control like I used to. I ain't spoiling nothing. See you guys next time, everybody. Public safety. Do you want me to get naked and start the revolution? <laughs>